Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Zero to 10 podcast, where we focus on helping B2B businesses grow from zero to 10 million. This is the show for CEOs, startup founders, business owners, and folks thinking about starting a business. This podcast is the intersection of strategies, tactics, and trends, all focused on the zero to 10 growth journey. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. In this episode, I welcome Daniel Gillespie to the podcast. Danielle and I talk about the approaches she takes to help companies propel to success starting from a single idea. She also provides useful tips on getting the most of the business ideas and how to adapt or ditch them according to your customers' needs. If you have an idea on how you can start a business, but you're lost as how you will maximize it, this episode is the perfect guide for you. At the end of this, please make sure you visit our website where you can find the show notes plus the links mentioned with Danielle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe so you're always the first to know when a new episode is released. Now, let's get this interview started. Hey, good morning, Danielle. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here this morning. Uh, my pleasure. So to get us started, why don't you give the audience just a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today, and we'll, we'll jump in. Yeah, so I started eons ago, right out of college as a software engineer, and quickly discovered how much I loved it. And I went from there to a bunch of different development roles. I've done everything from the lowest level grunt work all the way up to the architecture work. And then the last say, 15 years, I've been in the startup world. So working for other people in their startups and being on founding teams and then eventually starting my own company. And right now, what I'm trying to do is take all of the knowledge that I've observed and experienced as a startup founder and also as part of a founding team and create a framework around that and help other young entrepreneurs, startup founders, people that are maybe just have an idea of what they want to do, but don't know how to take it to the market, or even people that have maybe created a beta or early versions, and they just don't know what to do with the product and their company and how to push the whole thing forward. So what I'm doing now is a lot of consulting work, uh, helping young companies get from their idea to commercialization. And I do that, you know, in, in various different roles is informal advising, mentoring, um, you know, consult, you know, like a regular consultant job, everything in there that I could possibly do to help people I do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's what I really liked about your background. I do want to get into the frameworks. I think that's a good practical approach for, for a lot of business, business owners and we were chatting a little bit before the show, and I told you that we had recently gone through a rebrand, and you know, it used to be the B2B Founder Podcast, and now kind of ex expanded that to be just B2B 0 to 10, because one of the things that I found when having the conversation with guests or doing the work that I do, that the founder is kind of one of the three pieces of the stool in the B2B world, and I find the challenges are almost the same. Now, B2B startup is... Obviously, they're just starting, so a little bit of a different challenge, but some of these B2B small business owners or CEOs that took over small B2B companies all had and have the same growth problems, right? So that's nothing unique. So definitely want to dig into your framework and see if that does, if you can 
expand that into the other types of businesses. I'm guessing the 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 foundation and the principles of it probably are pretty consistent for all B2B businesses, right? Yeah, for sure. So most of my experience is building tech products, tech platforms. So that's probably what I know best and what I will talk about most. Although I have helped a couple of you know friends kind of informally help them launch their hardware products. Ideas last is this concept that I sort of came up with. I didn't come up with it, but I've I've observed and it's a framework that we've uh, sort of developed that talks a lot about um, and a founder may have an initial idea and is likely extremely passionate about that idea. And they may have an initial target marketplace, but oftentimes the best success is found by sort of jiggering those two pieces. So, you know, your idea is starts as maybe something discrete, but it's really more of a continuum. And your marketplace is also something you think about as discrete, but it's a continuum as well. So you kind of need to slide those two axes back and forth and find the perfect market fit where you can, you know, create the best uh, outcome and, and the happiest customers. And, and there's a lot of different aspects uh, that go into that. But, you know, mostly it has to do with taking your idea and putting it in the back seat. Like you, a lot of founders are, you know, everyone does it. I did it myself. A lot of founders are very committed to their idea, but the best founders are going to be able to let go of their initial idea and adapt it and move it and use it as a flight plan that is constantly correct, course correcting, not an absolute finish line. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you're so right there. The, the passion is sometimes hard to decouple because they're so passionate about this specific problem and this specific idea. And then once you get into the marketplace and get some feedback from customers, it's, it's, it will almost, I mean, my business, I'm sure your business has pivoted and ebbed and flowed and, and gone in directions. So, so maybe that's a good place to start. Let's, let's go back to, all right, you're about to engage with, with a, a startup founder. You know, what are some of the questions that you're asking to try to get grounded? Then I want to get into specifically, you know, some of the advice that you are, we'll get into the framework and outline you know, an approach. I think this is good. So even if you're in the market, but maybe you're stalled, you know, listen to this, right? Because this could be why you're stalled is, is, is from the idea. And I really like the name. I mean, when I first read idea last, I think, oh, ideas last, but no, <laughs> you said idea goes last when you're looking at it. So I know I just said a lot there, but may, maybe we could get into, hey, a new founder, you know, what is, what are some of the things that that conversation, how, how does that go? Yeah. So the first couple of conversations I have with people are mostly me listening to them. You know, what was the inspiration? What was your idea? How did you come to believe that this product needed to be something that you're willing to give most of your life for? <laughs> and usually through just sort of, you know, letting the, the founder talk and sometimes it's a therapy session. Sometimes it's, you know, a deeply technical conversation. I sort of get a sense for who that person is, what is their best swim lane, and how committed are they to this idea. And it's not necessarily a set of formulaic questions. It's mostly, it's like a conversation. You, you right. just start talking to someone and see where their head's at. And the best founders and the most adaptable ones are the ones who are coachable 
and are interested in your feedback and are okay with me not saying, oh, you're the greatest person in the world. You know, you could be the greatest person in the world, but your idea might need to be tweaked, you know, and, you know, you can accept constructive criticism. And I just, you know, just having, you know, I've done a ton of consulting and, and interface with tons of customers. And it really just is an observational conversation that takes place maybe one or two sessions where you're just trying to figure out where this person is and what, what do they want out of their venture? Do they, do they want wild success and exit or do they just want to make enough money to, you know, buy a new car? So it's, (laughs) you know, it's amazing. Uh, I guess I'm not surprised anymore. The number of the, the earlier stage companies, even more established companies that don't really have a goal or an outcome that they're looking for. Cause to your point, it, you know, trying to get to the 10 million or a hundred million you know, dollar company is very different than a nice lifestyle brand at 800,000 with real, really good margins, but a lot of similarities, but yet how you're going to get there could be, could be very different. So yeah, it's amazing. And again, I appreciate the hundred percent passion, right? The commitment and amazed every yeah. day with the creativity with, with the ideas folks come up with, but yeah, to your point, where are you trying to get to? Cause you don't have that be really hard to build a plan to something you don't know where it's going exactly it's it's extremely difficult to, to build a plan and then so maybe tying off that passion because i do think that's one of the, the keys to early success for some of these early stage companies is the founder's passion for the project and selling into their network and you know you can you can close a lot of deals with passion but then once i think when you start to get involved trying to expand that to other folks is that really kind of the, the tipping point where you look at the idea and the market versus the way they're selling it? Or when does, how do you encourage the, the founders to think about that? Well, so there's a number of different ways that you think about taking your product to market. And I think the best way is to sort of give an example of someone I think did not do it well, unfortunately. They weren't willing to adapt. So there was a company that I worked with. They had raised $4.5 million. They had a product. They had released it. It was doing good, not great. They were spending thousands of dollars a month advertising, trying to acquire new customers. And they were just kind of stalled. They were not making money. They maybe had not used their budget to their best ability, but you know, still had some good tech and had a good idea. The issue was that people didn't really want what they were selling. And there was a real opportunity for them to just take their tech and change it just a tiny bit and turn it into something people really did want. And they were unwilling to do that. And they had the data, they had the the customer feedback, they had, they were able to observe how customers are using the product. They knew what, how the customers were using the product and they were unwilling to sort of reframe what they were doing in a way that, that would have really helped them take off. And in the end, you know, and, and that's something that I, one of the investors brought me in to, to take a look at the tech and I was saying, you know, we could just change this a little bit. We're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're talking about less than a hundred thousand and we could have something really great here. And the founders were so committed to their original idea and what that idea stood for that they were unwilling to make any changes at all. And today they're out of business. 
So it's just crazy to me because that wasn't, it's often not a complex resolution. It, it was a simple resolution and an easy one to manage little, you know, step by step. We weren't talking about flushing the whole thing down the toilet and, and starting over. We we're talking about just, you know, tiny ships. And yeah. it was heartbreaking to see that, you know, this product go down the drain, but the, the founders just didn't, they rather see it destroyed than, you know, slightly changed off mission. And wow. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just kooky to me. Like, oh my gosh, how could someone do that? You know? Especially if you've raised four and a half million dollars of other four people's half, money, right? Yes. Four <laughs> and a half million dollars. So entrepreneurs work so hard to raise even the smallest amount of money. Sure, yes. Four and a half million dollars. Like, I was just, I was beside myself, but, um, you know, it's, a, it's a sad story, you know, yeah. you know, on the other hand, I don't personally know the clubhouse people, but I was listening to a different podcast and they were talking about, you know, they had both started startup, you know, started their companies and I don't really remember their backstory, but when they created clubhouse, they didn't even think it was going to succeed. That's how like unattached they were to their idea they were attached to creating a solution and they were listening to their, their customers and they're listening to how people were using what they put out there. And, and I just thought like, that's great. That's a perfect example of two people that put their idea last. They're like, you know, we want to create something great and now look at them. Yeah. I mean, that customer feedback is, is so critical. And again, it can't do, you know, paralysis by analysis, but <laughs> man, the customer feedback, it just, it just doesn't lie. It, it's interesting. I've got, uh, podcast it'll actually be out before this one actually airs as ceo of a new startup um, called the juice out of indianapolis the the ceo of this company jonathan interviewed i think a hundred different prospects slash customers to validate the idea that they were looking at and see is this a real problem need to have need to solve problem or a nice to solve problem and they iterated on the product before it even went live, trying to figure out where and how they can best solve this problem. Now, I don't know if anybody, everybody has the time or the, the bandwidth to do it ahead of time, but back to your point of, man, you, the customers aren't gonna lie. And if they don't like what you have or the direction it's going, I don't care how committed you are to it, it's gonna be a short-lived idea. Yeah, and I think that's a great approach. I mean, I was also just talking to two uh, peers of mine here in Pittsburgh who are, thinking of starting a new company and they're taking that same approach. They had a whole file of ideas all over the board and they asked me to talk to them and, and sort of they went through all of their different ideas and they're doing a really methodic vetting process of these ideas. They don't want to just start a company for the sake of it. They actually want to create something of value and they're not, um, they're not going to just jump in cavalierly they're actually going to do the the work and sometimes the work says this is a dumb idea and that's okay you know right. you just have a different idea or at least you tried you know it does it's not a failure it's just a it's just you've crossed something off that doesn't work yeah as i say it's only a failure if you quit right yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you get the feedback back it's a lesson learned and, and you move on but yeah yeah i'm curious to get your point because yeah I would say two years ago before we started the podcast, I was probably 100% convinced you could grow any company if you had the right problem you're trying to solve and execute against it. Then talking to another of you know founders and owners that were passionate about the problem they were solving and 
how they were solving it. I mean, kind of convinced me that there's a lot of value in having that passion because if the founder's passionate, the CEO's passionate, then the employees will be passionate, then the customers can be passionate. But then uh, Kirk Johnson is a, a VC here in the Chicago area. They're kind of building uh, from idea, from concept to execution, new companies focused on the biggest problems that they're trying to solve. And I'm like, oh, all right, I get it. So just curious where you said, I kind of get a sense of, you know, is it the idea and the passion or is it the problem you're solving? Or can you do it both ways? I'll give you the cop out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it transitions from one to the other. Like you have to have that passion and you have to have an idea. You need to know where to start and you have to be passionate. Otherwise, poof, you just, you know, you'll, you'll die before you even start. But then being able to make that transition, you know, like I'm talking about, it's like, an intersect of two axes, right? You you start somewhere, but you have to be willing to observe how what you're doing is is being accepted and and make these small changes. So without without an initial idea and a and a passion, it, there, there's just no sense in starting. But you know, being coachable and observant, that's when you transition into this. Okay, let's find let's find the biggest problem, you know, and let's solve it in the best way possible. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, I guess where I was coming from originally was um, that take the problem, but you have to be about, I think that maybe that's a better way of thinking about this. You have to be passionate about the problem you're trying to solve and maybe not necessarily what the idea is, which I think comes back to a, your approach with these, these businesses. Hey, the idea may have been great to get started, but let's figure out how to better solve the problem. If your customers are telling you, this isn't the way we want to do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then if you think about it that way, so there's, there's also a fine line between, you know, when do you give up or when do you let the market shift? Right. I mean, it, it, people are always like, well, when do I know that I should pivot on the idea and move to the next? And just curious, you're, you're, your perspective on that? Oh, uh, that's a hard one. I mean, <laughs> oof, it, yeah, I, I don't know that there's any good answer to that. I think if you're, you know, you're, you're finally finding you, you've started your company, you've got this idea, you're in a market, the customers just aren't responding. If they're not using your product in any way, or you can't get anybody to buy into what you're doing, then you probably need to pivot. Yeah. You know, like, and pivot is fine. It doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean your idea was bad. It just means you need to shift a jigger and, and, you know, find the place where the customers are passionate. Most great products weren't an idea someone had, and then it became the thing that it is. It's, they, they started and they evolved and they changed and they, you know, they, they were a result of all of the inputs that came before that point. So I, I don't know. I mean, I would say in that case, you need a good team of advisors and mentors and you need to talk to different people and get some different perspectives. And at the end of the day, sort of take all of that input and say, OK, based on what I'm hearing and experienced people, I probably should pivot right now or I should give up or I'm right on the edge of cracking this thing open. It's hard. It's so many moving parts. It's so many founders will try and blame bad marketing or bad sales techniques. But if you get good people, coaches, consultants, or you know, full-time people on your team, and they're doing the right things, then 
the market may just not want what you're offering. (laughs) There's just no, there's no way around that. So I I, I don't know. It's a lot of different things that need to be evaluated before you decide it's time to give up. 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 (laughs) Burn it down. (laughs) No, no, I I think that it's, it's so true, but I think you have to go into that with that open mindset, not just, Hey, first, first roadblock, you're automatically going to pivot. It's just, just be aware of, of where it's coming. And, you know, even like I said, with, with my podcast, it's now two plus years, it started out as hardwired for growth, right? Anybody looking to scale a business and, you know, what I found, I still love that idea, but you know, that was for everybody, but then it turned out to be nobody, right? Because it wasn't, (laughs) it really wasn't tailored to a specific group or audience. And then once it got transitioned to B2B founder, because, you know, my background and expertise is more in the the B2B side and how do we take some lessons learned of 30 years and apply it to B2B founders. But then when I actually took what you're saying is talk to your customers, in this case, it was my listeners. And it turned out that it wasn't just B2B founders, as we talked about earlier, it was owners. and, And frankly, a lot of people that are thinking about starting a business that want to not make maybe the same mistakes that they were. So that's why I, I tweaked it again and, and you know, expanded some more of the content's going to include, be more inclusive than further, further niching down, if it makes sense. But if I wouldn't have talked or listened to my listeners, I'd still be going down, down that same path. So long-winded yeah. answer for an example to what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it does make sense. And that's a perfect example. I mean, you listen and adapt, you listen and adapt. You don't just, you know, throw the whole thing out. You just take small steps to you really find your sweet spot. And then, you know, and, and now look what's happening. You know, you're growing and growing and growing. So I think it's a really great approach. And, and to your point, I didn't do it overnight. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to win. Let's do it. As I actually talked to, to <laughs> reemphasizing your point, had some advisors and mentors and, you know, folks that are there to give you advice. And that's kind of what I did. Let's bet this out. Does this make sense? Yes, yes, yes. And just don't go to your yes people either because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our family and friends, that sounds great. It'd be yeah. perfect. You'd rather hear from folks. It'll give you the honest feedback that said, yeah, maybe not. Maybe that's not a good idea. So yeah. Um, yeah. The, the yes people kill me. I love it when the founders come and they say, oh yeah, everyone's saying this is a great idea. I'm like, well, who are those people? You know, you don't really, I don't want to be hard on them, but on the other hand, it's sort of like, okay, well, you need some no people because that's going to be a reality check for you. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. And I need to do a better job of that sometimes, but I had a guest on here. This is, you know, back when it was still hardwired, but he was on Shark Tank and invented a product. And part of his vetting process was, hey, I went beyond family and friends and really wanted the outside network to tell them what you like and really what you don't like. And you know, just further emphasizing, go talk to your customers, but just, but be okay to the criticism, right? Like you had said that company that, you know, had four and a half million dollars of invested dollars, it just wouldn't listen to what the customers were saying. It's not a good recipe. <laughs> it's not a good recipe. No. So, so, so what else are you seeing in, in the market from an advice standpoint? So, Hey, I'm looking to grow my business to 10 million. You know, what are some of your, your recommended best practices or advice that you give to these, these founders? People are coming to me from all different places. So, you know, the first thing that we kind of look at is who's on your team and what are their uh, strengths. 
and I'm not talking about building this giant, you know, multi-million dollar team. I'm just talking about does the founder have a co-founder or who are their mentors, who are their advisors, how are you doing this? I find that a lot of um again, you know, from the from the tech lens, I find that a lot of founders have ideas, but they don't know how to find good developer partners. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people who have lost a lot of money because they just didn't, you know, find the right developer. So, you know, I we help find the right developer and then we evaluate, are you ready for marketing or is marketing too early? Are you ready to think about your sales funnel or is that too early? Um, and then once we sort of identify what, you know, what's, what's the best strategy or what's your, what's your roadmap for moving forward, I can help them find more specific people to, you know, um, satisfy the roles that they're looking for. So whether that be by consulting or full-time employee, um, it, it's, it just depends on where they are with their fundraising and, and their budget. And so I've, I've helped everyone from people with no fundraising and no budget find free people to help them right? <laughs> and to, to companies that are founded and, and don't know, you know, do I, do I need to hire a full-time sales manager or do I need to hire a sales growth coach or do I need to hire, you know, a marketing person or, you know, so we, we sort of, we, we need to, you know, you need to find where you are and, and what is the highest value that you're going to get a return on your investment um, for the founder. So it just depends where they are. It's, you know, the, the first people, you know, I was talking to two founders that have no funding They've got a good idea. They're really hard workers, great coaches, but, you know, so we're doing what we can with, by stealing time from people Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then again, I talk to these companies that have a lot of funding and they, they don't know what to do with the funding. So it's a wide range, but it just, it kind of depends on, on where they are and in their cycle of business and, and startup growth and where they want to go in the next say six months or 12 months. Yeah. And it, it comes back to what we talked about, man, have a plan, have a goal. Where are you trying to get to? And right. The, the folks that raise the professional fundraisers, I call them, right. They, they're already thinking about, you know, seed and then series A, B, C, and like, what about actually building a company? I mean, I get it's important. So I, I, my preference is to work with the bootstrappers or take money just when you really need it. And there's companies that definitely do. I know from a tech heavy standpoint that development cannot be cheap and you need help to fund those ideas but and if you could keep it um, bootstrapped as long as possible you're not giving up your company and you know kind of your your point you mentioned with the you know they raised money guess what you even if they're not expecting a direct reporting into that you got a different set of stakeholders now once you've got your capital in there so you know you said it's very very nuanced and you know, it's kind of the beauty of B2B and the challenge of B2B, right? Direct to consumer, it's pretty straightforward. I'm not saying it's easy, but it, it's pretty straightforward. But on the B2B, yeah, right. Is it sales? Is it marketing? Do I need more product people? Do I hire? Do I, you know, outsource? And, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges I see these founders make. And even the mistake is they make a mistake on that first hire, Right, especially if you hire a you know high level sales or a marketing person to come on and your point it wasn't ready, then that's an eighteen month mistake. Sometimes it's going to take you six months or eight months to figure out oh this might not be working. Another four months to make a decision, you know another six months to go back and staff. And a lot of companies don't recover from that. So 
So I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's an underappreciated point of growth is the the wrong hires. So I'd love yeah. if you have any recommendations or, or thoughts on, you know, as you're getting to that point, is there a, a process that you like? I know you help them. So is there anything they should be thinking about as they're getting to that point of thinking about hiring somebody? Yeah. So, I mean, I fully agree with you. And then the approach I take is let's bootstrap and let's see what we can scrape together as long as we possibly can for a number of reasons. But but mostly because I think that it it sort of makes the founder sit down and, and think, what is the best use of my time? What is the best use of my money? And I'm a huge fan of using contractors, consultants. If you can find a good partner, that person or those people, I think, can really provide more value than what it costs. You know, like, then you're not dealing with payroll and you're not talking about, you know, it's, there's a whole set of, it's something great about having a whole team of people at the right time that are full-time and you're committed and you're, you're in it together, but not everyone can work for free and, you know, not everyone or for work for options. And I think that most, most really great consultants have this, they come with this, this arsenal of, of weapons that you can't just hire someone to have, you know, you can maybe hire a consultant for, you know, whatever number you hire them for, but over the course of time that you're getting a higher value than you are getting from hiring someone for that same amount of money, because most consultants have more experience. They've seen more different scenarios. They can more succinctly solve the problem. They can help you pivot faster. And I, I think that with these early stage companies, I really do advocate for finding consultants or part-time team members that will help you grow your business and get get you to the next step where you can then hire a full-time team. Yeah. But you know, the the flip side of that is there's a lot of kind of slimy consultants out there. So <laughs> No, you're 100% right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you have to be careful and you know, again, that's where if you have some mentors or you have some advisors, friends, anyone that can also help you evaluate who you're trying to hire and make sure that your goals are clearly stated and being satisfied and met month by month, then I think it could be a real win-win. I just, I think there's a lot of value that can be added by, um, you know, someone that's committed to your mission on a part-time basis. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. I'm a big believer in outsourcing and get back to the challenge for B2B companies is right. There's a lot of moving pieces. <laughs> Right. And a lot of the consultants in these spaces are one dimensional, right? They're a sales expert or they're a marketing expert. And you really can't have one without the other and then throw in product and customer success. And wait, when do I throw the process person and the automation person into the mix? And it can be overwhelming. And I think it is go back to that plan, understand where you need the help. Is it really driving new business into the pipeline? Is that digital marketing or is it sales? And again, having some mentors and some advisors and with different skill sets, I think is a, is a huge advantage. Not easier said than done sometimes, but yeah, sure. it's, instead of jumping to your point, instead of jumping in with two feet, you know, test the water and make sure that's what you really need and don't make an 18 month mistake. Maybe you make a two month mistake, which you can overcome a little bit easier, a lot easier than the long-term mistake. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. 
All right. I know we're starting to run slow on time and I are low on time, but I do want to, before I get to my final question is, you know, what do we, as we're starting to exit the, the pandemic and I know you're, well, I hope we are. <laughs> Every time we have this conversation, I never Fingers say crossed. Right, or <laughs> where we're at. I mean, I, the, the, one of the things I, I talk a lot about is I think the opportunity that's created again, back in more of the B2B and you've got the tech and you've got remote work, you've got all these things. So you know, what are you kind of looking for? What are you starting to see, you know, as we hit the tail end of 2021 and 2022, what are you, you kind of expecting in the, the startup space? I'm just curious. You know, I think startups are going to stay strong. I think, you know, a lot of people have more tools available to them and more interest in solving problems. I think the hybrid workspace is going to help small companies in particular, because you can then hire someone anywhere, you know, your developer doesn't have to be in your town. Your developer could be in any time zone. I think that's going to be kind of helpful for small companies so they can find the best person for their product and for them and their personality. Something that I I struggle with and your VC friends are probably going to hate me when I say this, but you know, there seems to be so much money out there. And I, I understand that there's just a very small fraction of companies that become successful. And I know that VCs have, you know, so much deal flow, but I I don't really understand how to help small companies and small businesses find the money that they need to get started. And I'm not talking about millions of dollars. I'm talking about those first checks, 500 to 750, even up to a million dollars. My observation, and it could just be geographic, but my observation is that it's difficult to find investors, VCs, what have you, that are willing to do a small deal and as someone that the founder could network with. So again, back to the fact that there's so many deals available that most VCs are just looking for the most conservative deal, the one that's either a founder that's already had a success or an industry that's just basically minting dollars. I just think that there's this in-between place that isn't being satisfied by the market. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for investment, really great investment um, that can become deal flow for bigger VCs. But I just don't, I don't know where it's, I don't see it happening. And I, I don't know how to, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people about how do we, you know, can we, could we start a small fund for those $500,000 checks? Um, or, you know, is there a, what, there's, there's no lack of deal flow. It's, it's just some of these great ideas and great founders don't have this big network of people and so are being overlooked for good deals. So I, I just, I struggle with how, how can I help those people or how, what can, what could we do about it to sort of unearth some of these lesser understood deals and put some time and energy behind them? It's, it's not a, I'm probably not eloquently put, but it's, it's something I think about on a routine basis because it, it's not just one or two founders with sour grapes. It's lots of founders who just yeah. need you know, even 150 or $200,000. And they don't, they don't come from the place where their friends and family can do that, or they, they, they're just not networking with people willing to take a chance. So I don't know. It's just something I think about a lot, like how I think there has to be some sort of better way out there, but I I don't know what it is either. So. No, great, great minds think alike. And I don't think we've actually talked about this because that was one of the things that I struggled with is 
right? There's a lot of really good ideas out there and, and they get to the point of, to your point of VCs, like, uh, you know, if I get one out of 30 of these seed stage funds to show promise and move on, then it's going to pay off my fund. And so where I actually started a fund, I really haven't broadcast it much is for those in-between companies, right? There's a lot of really good, it's going to be B2B. Again, it's going to fit in that zero to 10, but I think they get some early good momentum, maybe get to a you know, quarter of a million or half a million in revenue. So they've got some customers, they've proven the fit, but you, they just need help with that execution to get the momentum going to get, you know, it's 10, but it's even to 5 million to get to that next level of funding that opens up a lot of doors when they do it. So yeah, I'm 100% with you. I think there's a big opportunity because I think there's a lot of really good companies that die and they, they shouldn't, right? It's for that exact reason. They weren't professional fundraisers. There's so many companies get funding that there's no way in God's green earth that they should ever get given money, but they knew who they, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And yeah, yeah. so I don't know if I'm going to have a huge impact on that, but you know, I, I share your your vision for an opportunity to help some of these really good companies, just give them a chance. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's yeah. the biggest thing. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I agree. So awesome. All right. Well, Danielle, I really appreciate your time today, but I'm not letting you go without asking you what is one thing for professional or personal that you would highly recommend. So I, mine is more probably for, again, startup founders. It's to find an accountability partner. <laughs> um, and by that, I mean, back to my the beginning of the podcast, I worked for a bunch of startup companies. I finally founded a company. And what I discovered was that I needed as the CEO, I still needed somebody that was holding me accountable. And I did end up hiring somebody to help me. It would be considered executive as a service. And it wasn't, you know, like some highly paid C-suite person that didn't understand what I was doing. It was just somebody with experience that knew how to go from idea to commercialization. And this person wasn't just helpful logistically and operationally. He was someone who would also remind me to celebrate very small victories and also someone to say, you know what, you screwed up, move on. Everybody screws up. Everyone's made a mistake. So I think as a founder, it's really important. And I would meet this person every week for two hours. And that, so that's it. It wasn't some huge commitment. It wasn't super expensive, but it was someone who helped me sort through my priorities, determine what I was going to do from this week to the next. And when I came back the next week was either going to harass me or applaud me for getting this stuff done in the previous week. I still think back to that experience and I think I that was probably one of the one of the smartest things I did because it can be very lonely and is very stressful to, you know, have to be managing a startup company and managing other people's investments and trying to know what the right thing to do is and feeling extremely uncomfortable when you make a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just think, you know, if you could find and hire someone that can that can hort sort of be your therapist slash execution guru slash accountability partner, it will make a big difference. Yeah, I think that's such good advice. And I've done I've done it off and on, but I find like from working with a company right now and we have a weekly meeting set up, right? It's it's an hour and there is an accountability on both sides. Right. Hey, this yeah. is what we talked about doing. And 
I love that idea. And I think there's, to your point, there's even maybe a 1A and, you know, or 1.0 and then 2.0. 1.0 is just somebody that you know, you guys are maybe on a similar path. You just share and hold each other accountable. But then that next step is to, with some insights into the business and helping you drive the business and vet the ideas. I think there's so much value in both those. And rarely do you see a lot of folks use that. I know that some folks will do it in a, a small group or a larger group. And you know, to, to your point, I've just had more success one-on-one, even if it's an informal one-on-one. Uh, yeah. The power of, I think it's, I don't know if it's human nature or what, why it makes sense, <laughs> but you're, you're so right. Just having that weekly conversation keeps just a little bit extra motivation in there. So, yeah, I completely agree. Awesome. Well, Danielle, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I really do appreciate you sharing your insights and in, in the framework today. So and this is great. I think really nice talking to you because we're both, we seem both to be on the same page. You know, really the founder's journey is having the passion and getting started, but then moving to full commercialization and doing it in a thoughtful way that's intentional and with insights and input and course correction. Yeah. And remember, always talk to your customers. They're, they're not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to lie, no. <laughs> and if, if folks listening want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? I'll add that to the show notes as well. Yeah. So through my website, it's daniellegillespie.net. It talks about this ideas last framework, how it started and how to connect with me. And, you know, we can get a conversation started. As I said, I work with companies that have zero funding to companies that have a couple million dollars of funding between, is this a good idea or is this a bad idea all the way up to I'm stuck? What do I do next? Yeah. I love talking to founders. I love hearing their success stories. I like hearing their woes. And I just, I give so much credit to anyone willing to sort of take that leap and put themselves out there. It's it's hard. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. But it can be fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. It's a balance. You have to be ready. The mindset has to be there. Your family <laughs> needs yeah. to be ready for it. But exactly. you control your own destiny, at least. Yeah, so that's awesome. <laughs> it's a All wild right, well, ride. We'll have to uh, we'll check back in with you maybe as we you know head into the next year to see what's on the the plate for then. But uh, really appreciate it, folks. Check out our content, Danielle. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks. This was great. Thanks. 